So you know, every story has to have a beginning, right? An introduction. And the story of Christmas is no different because it actually began long before the birth of Christ. And you know, that's really the whole point of a day like today in a season like the season of Advent because it starts us down the path to Bethlehem's manger with a wide glance at the past and a recollection of what God has done for his people in times before. And although the plan for the nativity began long before the creation of the world, I want us to kind of wade into the journey midstream this morning by looking at a time roughly about 700 years before Jesus was born and to the Holy Spirit-inspired writings of the prophet Isaiah as he began to introduce to us and to the world our Savior Jesus. And so we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And just as a, why, why you, I see several people have your Bible, so while you're looking that up, just as, as a quick kind of introduction here, this was some pretty dark times that Isaiah is writing to, with uh, political infighting, with a divided nation, north versus south, uh, pressure from foreign governments, and open hostility uh, in the streets of Jerusalem. So just kind of keep that in, a, in the background of your mind as we go to his words. So Isaiah 9, beginning in verse 1. This is what he writes. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former times he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter times he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You've multiplied the nation, you've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a son is born. A child is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David, and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. Father, we thank you so much for the words of the prophet Isaiah. Uh, these prophecies that were spoken into a very dark time in the history of the people of Israel. Uh, and, and yet a time and to an audience that you promised uh, in the midst of that darkness to send the shining light of a child, of, of a son. We thank you, Lord, that uh, on this side of the cross we know that child of that son was Jesus. And so we ask uh, by your Holy Spirit that you would open our hearts and minds today uh, to see him in this text. And we ask all of these things in his name. Amen. As you know, Isaiah's words here introduced a promise to his people in the message of this child that was to be born, this son that was to be given. And it gave Israel a reason to hope, and they sure needed one, just as I was telling you. Uh, many in Isaiah's audience were not godly people. In fact, Israel had messed up so badly in their relationship with God and their leaders were so corrupt 
that God began allowing them to be bullied and pushed around by foreign nations, uh, ones who would eventually overrun the promised land as a punishment. Does that sound at all familiar? Uh, it should, at least a little bit. Because like we in America today, the vast majority of the people of Isaiah's day were feeling defeated. They were walking in darkness. And no, not, not in atmospheric darkness. They, they had plenty of sunshiny days. They had the gleam of material abundance. They had the afterglow of having been a once great nation. And incredibly, they even had an abundance of access to the words of Scripture and to the dazzling worship of the temple and the benefits of a brilliant godly heritage. And yet, they walked around every day, as the old saying goes, with their eyes wide shut. In his day, our Lord Jesus put his finger a little more precisely on the problem in his conversation with Nicodemus over this idea when he said in John chapter 3, verse 19, he said, this is the judgment. Light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. And so they, they lived in the shadow of death and darkness because they'd abandoned God. And yet, as I said in the prayer, in an incredible act of grace, and compassion and mercy. It was to that same audience who walked in darkness and who continually turned their backs on God, their maker, that he gave the promise of a great light, a light brighter than the noonday sun and a glow sweeter than the glow of home fires and one more holy than the lamps of the temple menorah because it wouldn't be coming as beams or disembodied rays from a finite source, but would actually be coming in the flesh. The flesh of a tiny, tender, sometimes terribly inconvenient child of promise who, although destined to be born in a barn and swaddled and laid in a feed trough, was the true heir of the universe and the hope of the world. Someone to shoulder, as we read, the, the yoke of the burdens that we bear and to break the rod of our oppressor. Someone to burn the bloody remnants of our warfare, whether that be with opposing nations or in interpersonal rivalries, or family fights, or, or even in our own internal struggles. Because the one who was promised shall be called a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And church, the good news is that wonderful counselor wasn't just sent to the people of Israel. It was sent for you and me too. Amen. And you know, I, th I think, uh, especially in our modern world, we can relate to that idea, right? Because, I mean, we know about counseling. You hear, you hear about it all the time, about getting counseling, having a counselor. Uh, and a counselor is just simply someone you listen to. Someone you trust to give you good advice and guidance on the things that are important to you. Uh, and we also know all too well, sadly, it turns out that people today, like in Isaiah's day, will listen to the advice of almost any kind of counselor. Right? Uh, some listen to talk show hosts. Some listen to, to famous people like, you know, Oprah Winfrey or Ellen DeGeneres. I mean, DeGeneres. Uh, fo folks will listen to political figures. Mitch thought that was funny. Religious leaders, right? Comedians, right? Actors, singers. And, and, and the list goes on and on. And, and again, sadly, if those pundits whom people listen to say it, it's accepted as truth. Like it's established fact. It's acted on as if it were sound advice, even if it offends the Almighty. 
Others compound that error and they'll, they'll delve into their internal emotions and their deep-seated intuitions and their personal opinions, completely forgetting the admonition from Jeremiah 17.9 that the human heart is deceitful above all things and extremely sick. Who can understand it fully and know its secret motives? Right? Including yourself. Right? Uh, other people read their horoscopes and consult their star charts and have their palms read. Uh, and that was true in Isaiah's day too. I, Isaiah said in, in chapter 8, uh, when men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter. And then he says, should not the people of God inquire of God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? And so the net result and the overarching problem for Israel and for us is that the people had become lazy in their thinking and gotten into the habit of listening to bad people with even worse advice. Because, you know, whoever you listen to is your counselor, right? Whoever you follow. When all the while God is calling out to people, wake up. You're walking in darkness. You're walking in the shadow of death because you're following all the wrong people and you're taking in all the wrong advice. Now, now, before we go on, please don't mishear me. I, I don't want you to get the impression that I'm telling you we should never ask for or take the advice of someone, right? The Bible's clear in Proverbs 15, 22, that plans fail for the lack of counsel. Uh, but with many advisors, they succeed, right? So a, a wise Christian seeks the advice of their pastors and elders. Uh, a, a wise child, my children, look to their parents for advice. A wise husband talks over things with his wife. If he wants to live a happy life. Uh, but a wise woman also listens to the counsel of her husband. Uh, and, and there are lots of skilled and trained counselors out there. They can help you with anything from physical fitness to personal finance, right? No matter what issue you need help with out there, there's someone out there who's trained to help you. Counselors who sincerely want to help you. But church, no matter how good the advice these folks might give, they're still only mortals giving you the advice. Their counsel can only accomplish so much. So yes, there are many good counselors in this world, but none can compare with the wonderful counselor. And so God said through the prophet Isaiah, said to the people of his day and to you and me and ours, rejoice, I'm not gonna leave you stuck there because unto you a child is born and a son is given and he's gonna be a wonderful counselor. He's gonna be someone you can listen to and know that his advice is right and that you'll be able to stake your life on what he tells you. And not just for this finite human life, but for the rest of your eternal life as well. Brothers and sisters, no mortal man or woman is going to be able to, going to be capable of giving you any advice on any topic that will be anywhere near as good as his. Because even the goodest of good counselors in this world can only give you as much advice and help as you'll take and act on, right? I mean, I, I can give you advice from now till the cows come home, and I can repeat it every time I see you, but if you don't take it, all you've really done is waste both of our times, right? But when Jesus came, his counsel was compelling because he came fully understanding the basic problem that we face, which is without the intervention of the divine, we'll never face up to the fact that every other problem we face is because of sin. That's why one of the most oft-repeated advice that Jesus gave to people during his earthly ministry was go and sin no more. Don't make excuses for it. Don't try to explain it away. 
Counseling can't fix it. Good works can't erase it. But by faith in the fulfilled promise of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, we can confront it. That's the promise of Advent. And of all that it encompasses and having all of that distilled into a person, the person, and the work of the Messiah of Israel. Uh, the babe in the manger, the Christ of the cross, the God-man, Jesus Christ, because he is the power and the wisdom of God. He's, he's the one who can give us the power to overcome sin and the wisdom to know how to avoid it moving forward because he knows your heart and he feels your pain. And he didn't just sit idly by and watch the world go to hell. He did something about it, even though it joined him forever to a human flesh and cost him his life. So that now, as Hebrews 5, 2 says, he's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself was subject to weakness. So you see, Jesus understands our problems. He's sympathetic to our failures, but at the same time, he's due too good a counselor to just let us do what we want and ignore the consequences. Rather, he knows our problems and he has counsel to help us deal with our sins. But the key, of course, is this, to listen and actually follow his advice. So, so have you done that? Have you let Jesus be your counselor? Have you asked for his guidance and his advice for your problems? And if you have, uh, good, keep it up. And if you haven't, how come? And how long exactly do you think he'll let you get away with it? Because, you know, as Christians, we need to listen to him every day. But if that's not you, if you're not a Christian today as you sit here with us, you need to hear what he says in Mark 16, 16, that whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Jesus gives the same counsel in different words in John three eighteen when he said, uh, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And that's pretty tough advice. That's a hard pill to swallow, but that's the truth. And brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but I would rather get to heaven by a truth that hurt my feelings than end up in hell because I listened to a flattering lie. Right? And, and as much as I'd really rather forget a whole bunch of stuff that I've done and not ever have to give an account for it, the truth is I know that I've lived a life that is not worthy of the perfection of heaven or of the holiness of God, or of the love of Christ, or of the life of the Spirit. But I needed to see it and come to terms with it. And even more importantly, I needed to know what to do with all of that. Because at, you know, 53 for me, or 83, or, or 93, or for some of you, 103, right? It's more than a little too late to start over. But it's also exactly why a day like today is so important in the peace that it extends to us. Because today, as we begin our countdown to the celebration of Christmas, the words of Scripture in the mouth of Isaiah invite us to hear and to receive a promise. A promise unlike any other offer you've ever received. And brothers and sisters, that is to be personally born again. Corey Ten Boom said once, if Jesus were born 1,000 times in Bethlehem and not in me, then I would still be lost. Because the promise of Advent is not just uh, academic ancient history. It's as tangible and touchable and terribly real as a, a freshly born blood-covered baby. Be being born to a teenage girl in the back of a tavern barn. But that little bambino is the beating heart of the season that we're in. So that's why God had Isaiah tell us uh, in chapter 7 
The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And you'll call him Emmanuel. So Isaiah's message was plain. The virgin is going to give birth to a son. And he would be known as God with us. And this child, this child that was to be born, this son that was to be given would be called the mighty God and the everlasting father. And that prophetic promise church was kept when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary told her that she was to be the mother of the Messiah and said in Luke chapter 1 to her the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God the Apostle uh, John in his prologue to his gospel put it this way he said in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God so you see there's no mistaking what all of these verses are telling us or what the prophets are trying to say and, and yet I'm afraid somehow there'll still be folks that, that ask, okay, so what? Uh, so why is that so important? Why should it matter to me that Jesus was God and man? And what in the world does any of that have to do with Christmas? Well, I touched on it just slightly, but as I said, for one thing, it matters because the one who is called God has decreed that it's only by perfection that one gains entrance into heaven. And there isn't anyone who's got what it takes. Because the repeated message throughout Scripture is this, no one is going to get into heaven because they were nice people. Right? You can give your time and your money, housing, clothing. You know what? You can even give blood to help other people. You can be as nice as you can possibly be and make it to the, the top of Santa's proverbial list. But that won't ever get you into heaven. Because Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. So church, nobody is good enough to be good enough to get into heaven. Your sins and my sins have created a debt that must be paid and we can't pay it. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we need a perfectly holy God willing to step down from heaven and become one of us. So that he can exchange his life for ours. One modern poet put it like this. He said, uh, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. And now I sing the brand new song of one redeemed and laid away. Right? You guys remember store layaways, right? Yeah. I don't even know if people still do that. But that, as a kid, I thought that was fascinating. Right? So, you know, where, where you plan months in advance and, and you select just the, the perfect gift for your family. And you put down your little cash deposit, right? And the clerk writes out a receipt and gives you the layaway ticket and then... You know, at just the right time, you come back to redeem those gifts and, and you take them home excitedly waiting to see the joy on everyone's faces. Well, you know, that's the perfect metaphor of the divine prophetic promise that we're exploring today. It actually kind of pulls this whole uh, thought and message together. The Apostle Paul put it like this in Ephesians 1. He said, because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross. We're a free people free of the penalties and punishments chalked up by all our misdeeds. And not just barely free either, abundantly free. He thought of everything, providing for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him. Everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet Earth, it's in Christ. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. 
long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eyes on us, had a design on us for glorious living. And part of the overall purpose, he's working out for everyone and everything. It's in Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed it, this message of your salvation, found yourself home free, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. And this down payment from God is the first installment on what's coming. A reminder that we'll get everything God has planned for us in a praising and glorious life. Church, that's the most important reason for the promise of Jesus being born as both human and divine. And that's why it's so critical for you and me because the only one who could punch our ticket and take us home had to be the son who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And it also means that baby Jesus, meek and mild, grew up to be the Christ who was big enough and powerful enough to look at the problem of sin that we call impossible, but to which in Luke 18, Jesus replied, what's impossible with man is possible with God. And so today you, you might say, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of the fight of this life, but Jesus can say, come unto me and I'll give you rest. You might say, I can't go on anymore. But Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. You know, the, the people that we trust can, can fail us and disappoint us. Uh, companies that we work for might, might fire us or go out of business. Governments and kingdoms will ultimately crumble and fall. Guys, that's just the world we live in. Nothing here is permanent except Jesus and his commitment to us. But the great promise of Advent is that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. He is the presence of the everlasting Father with us. You know what? And the truth is he's not hard to find. Uh, church, God wants us to meet him. So much so that right in the beginning of the message of our redemption, in fact, God felt it was so necessary to introduce Jesus to us that he filled the Old Testament with hundreds of introductions. Again, and again and again throughout the pages of Scripture, God said, somebody's coming. Somebody's coming. Somebody referenced in over 300 prophecies that told us where he would be born and what he would do and what he would say and how he would die and how he would be resurrected from the dead and rise into heaven to return at the end of time in great power and judgment and glory when of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David. And over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. That's his work. But before you get too comfortable, don't forget it's not his plan to do it alone. That's why he also told us before he left, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And you know, church, that wasn't just a promise and a command directed to men in my profession. Uh, it isn't just the preacher's job to preach Jesus to other people. It's everyone's job. It's all of your jobs to brighten the corners that we're in with the light of the gospel and the promise of the Messiah, and the prophetic hope of his imminent return, whether it's during this Advent season or during some distant Christmas future, because he's coming. Not to be reintroduced, but to reign from David's throne forever. Church, that's a promise. Amen. Are you ready? Amen. Let's pray together.
Lord Jesus, we ask that you come quickly. We, we pray uh, in the words of the Apostle John at the end of the book of Revelation, Jesus, truly come. We are so grateful, Lord, for this promise that we hold on to, uh, not only the promise that you fulfilled in the birth of your son in Bethlehem, but the promise of his sure and imminent return. And so, Lord, uh, help us to keep our eyes uh, fixed in this world around us so that we're aware of the things going on. Uh, but also, Lord, keep our attention fixed in heaven because we know uh, that regardless of, of what this world looks like, regardless of the things that come up in our lives, regardless of the difficulties that we face, uh, we know that we have a hope and a future with you. And so we thank you, Lord, for your love and faithfulness. We thank you for this holy Advent season that allows us to focus on those promises. And we ask, Lord, to be with us as we go out into this week uh, and send us out with the joy and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.